Lord, we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. What could we do? We couldn't pull ourselves up. We have nothing in and of ourselves. But Lord, you called us. You breathed life into us. You forgave us. You gave us hope. You gave us a future. Lord, all the worship belongs to you because without you, we have nothing Mm -hmm. and we are nothing. Mm -hmm. So please speak to us now as you have our undivided attention. Lord, speak to our hearts. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and greet one another this morning. Oh, no. I'm not going to take this out. Damn. Leave it in because I'll forget. I always have to save the battery. The battery lasts long enough. It's fine. It, it, so, it does sound good. And on, um, yeah, Spirit of God. Yeah, he's taking us down the line. He's really good. He's a good, good job today. He's getting it. Okay, where are we here? Good morning and welcome. How are you? Are you all ready for Thanksgiving? It seems like it's come too quickly. Well, let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 16. 1611. We now pick up, Paul has had his Macedonian call, and now he uh, is going to uh, cross that body of water, and the gospel is going to go to Europe, and over the course of time, it's going to reach our lives. Chapter 16, verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. The next day we came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, which was also a Roman colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out to the city of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. We sat down and spoke to the women who met there. And now a certain woman named Lydia, she heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. Uh, She worshiped God, and the Lord opened her heart to heed the things that were spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, And saying, if you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she persuaded us. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Uh, This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. 
And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit that was controlling this young girl, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And, and he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, ex exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. And then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes uh, upon them, they threw them in prison and commanded the jailer to keep them securely. And having received a charge, he put them into the inner, inner prison, that is, uh, and fastened, fastened their feet in the stocks. But Paul, or but excuse me, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And with that, let's us pray. Lord, we, uh, we praise you today. Lord, as we gather this morning, lifting up our voices in adoration, Lord, giving you thanks. Lord, what a good and wonderful God you are. What a kind Savior. You're always looking out for us, Lord. And Lord, as we were singing a moment ago, as we look at our text, it, it appears outwardly that, Lord, uh, it seems like defeat, but Lord, it's victory. The victory is in your name. The victory is, is in your cross in your sacrifice. Lord, uh, how we praise you and thank you for new life. And Lord, here is Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy just simply wanting to communicate the love of God. And Lord, uh, we see how hostile this world can be, brutal at times. And Lord, uh, their heart was only to share the love of God. So help us, Lord, we pray, when we get pushed back. Lord, when we're feeling, Lord, beat up and alone, Lord, we, uh, how we pray that, that we might look to you. Lord, teach us something, I pray. Teach us something out of this passage that we've read today. Uh, we're, we're thankful, Lord, for your continual work, Father, in our lives. Thank you for this weekend. Once again, we come, Lord, to this Time of year as we remember, Lord, uh, and are thankful for all that you've done. Lord, make us, we pray, to be a people. Uh, like uh, like the, the, uh, the scripture speaks about in the Psalms, a, a people who know the joyful sound. A, a people that have an attitude of gratitude. Lord, to be thankful no matter what as we see Paul and Silas in stocks, Lord, in prison, their backs are bleeding, Lord, uh, maybe even they're wondering, Lord, uh, did we turn left when we should have turned right? But Lord, they're right where you wanted them to be. 
And Lord, uh, we pray that we would as well be in that place where you want us to be and to give you glory. Oh, Father, to give you praise, to give you thanks for, Lord, you are indeed worthy. So I pray, Father, for us this morning. Meet with us now, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We entitled uh, our message this morning, More Than Conquerors, and that's a verse that you know is lifted out of Romans chapter 8, and it's more than conquerors uh, in the face of what seems to be defeat. Uh, You know, so often uh, you and I, you know, we're told what we are in Christ, but sometimes when we look at our experience, it may be so radically different, you know, how we feel and, you know, what we look at as far as what's going on in our particular life. And, you know, you turn to the Bible and it says, you know, that we are victors, we are conquerors, we always walk in triumph in Christ Jesus, and, you know, and then you look at your life and you think, what's going on here, you know, what, why is there such a, you know, disparity with what's going on in my life and, you know, when I read the Bible. But that's so often the case because God wants us to walk by faith and not by sight. He wants us to, you know, keep our gaze, our focus as we look to him and see. So what we see here basically is sort of the invasion, if you will, of Europe. And I was thinking about, you know, Europe has been invaded over 20 different times. And I think perhaps maybe the greatest military invasion of Europe was what happened in June 6, 1944, uh, as, as the Allies invaded um, you know, France, the, the, the coast there, Normandy and so forth. And, and when you think about that, you know, what an incredible undertaking, maybe perhaps the greatest invasion of all history that took place with men and materiel. But yet when you look at what is going on here with the Apostle Paul, uh, simply because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what that can do, the impact of that, how transformative that is. And when the gospel of Jesus Christ here now hits Europe, it's going to transform that continent. And wherever it makes a particular beachhead, you know, God is going to work in a tremendous and an incredible way. And when you think about it, uh, the gospel, you know, going across that body of water, you know, Paul getting a vision, uh, not knowing what was ahead, not realizing that no sooner do they get there, they would probably end up in prison. Yet the fact of the matter is God's word is not in prison. Uh, We think about the the gospel and how it's able to change the situation. We're going to see that uh, in in this particular chapter, in this this particular text and so forth, uh, how transformative God's God's work is. And again, nobody realized, here's this humble, ragtag group of um, pretty much Jewish guys Uh, the gospel has transformed them, and here they are bringing the gospel to Europe, and and, and again, no one realizing that tremendous uh, event that was taking place. Nobody really recognizing that, but again, God was standing there with them. The the trip was 160, uh, 56 miles across there, that body of water took uh, basically two days. Wind was at their backs. Uh, Going back home, it would take five days uh, but in a sense, you know, sometimes we, 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 you know, in preaching, we talk about the wind filling the sails, you know, when God is just, you know, wonderfully, you know, breathing, you know, his truth, you know, into the lives and hearts of people. That's what I think that same wind, that wind of the Holy Spirit really was behind these guys as they hit this, uh, uh, the European continent. And so they leave, leave Troas. Uh, Luke joins them in Troas. Uh, Luke is the physician. And uh, he's the writer, obviously, of the book of Acts. And so we find at this particular point, uh, he, uh, he adds in that pronoun we, pronoun we. And so he is joined with them. 
and uh, he's going to be with them for the rest of this particular book. Uh, they come to the port city, um, uh, Neapolis. That's where basically it was a port city for Philippi. Philippi was inland about 15 miles. And Philippi basically was named after Philip II, uh, who was the king of Macedon, and he pretty much controlled that entire, most of the, at the time, uh, Grecian city-states. Uh, and he was famous in the sense for his son. His son was Alexander the Great. Um, and uh, Philippi was a Roman colony, which means basically uh, it was, you know, the government was Roman. Um, uh, you know, all those positions that were filled, it was considered Roman soil, actually, when you think about it. And of course, if you were a legionnaire, if you were a Roman soldier, uh, you, could, uh, you would get a plot, maybe perhaps a half an acre or an acre plot if you decided to, to re retire, rather, in any one of the Roman colonies throughout the world. And one of the things that was interesting, you know, uh, you know it says, in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son. And one of the things about R Rome uh, conquering the world is wherever Rome went, roads went. Uh, they were famous for their paved roads. I was in Scotland many years ago, 1992, and uh, because that was the furthest reach of the Roman Empire, um, they took us out to see an ancient Roman road. It's not paved in a sense that, you know, in any way like our road. It's sort of like paved with stones kind of a thing. But here was an ancient Roman road. And again, you know, God's perfect timing so that those who would travel you know, throughout the course of the known world at that particular time there would be a Roman road in order to get them you know, to that particular place. And so we come in verse 13. It's a Sabbath day. And uh, uh, in order for there to be a Sabbath building, a Sabbath place, there had to be a quorum, basically, a group of 10 Jewish men uh, that would be basically, that would, that would be there. And uh, uh, if not, the tradition was that you go out to the, either the beach or you go out to the riverside. And when you got out there, basically, uh, here, was, here was the protocol. Uh, they had a regular kind of a service. It would be, um, you would read from uh, the, Shema, the Shema or the Shema, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verse 4. Uh, the Lord our God is one Lord. Uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And also to, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, and all thy soul. And then you know, would basically have a time of prayer, and then they would also read from the Law and the Prophets, and this was basically the structure that would take place. But little did, did they realize that this would be a divine appointment. You know, a lot of times, you know, when you, when you go to church and sometimes God is moving you, uh, sometimes there's the divine appointments when you don't even realize he's moving you. Uh, can you remember perhaps maybe that divine appointment that led to your salvation? You didn't, you didn't realize exactly maybe somebody invited you to go to church, whatever the case may be, and in, in the process of time, or maybe even, um, you know, on that first meeting, that first appointment, you know, you committed your life to Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful for the divine appointments, you know, because for you and I, God's always working out some divine appointment, uh, always some opportunity where he wants to either use us um, or, you know, maybe do something on our behalf. I'm so thankful, um, you know, for the many different opportunities and open doors, divine appointments uh, in my life that were strategically, and I believe the Lord strategically engineers things, you know, as we're walking with him, as we're living for him, as we're trusting him to work in certain kinds of ways. And we never know. We never know. And that's, that's why it's important that, you know, we walk by faith. 
that we're walking in obedience to the Lord because we never know when that divine opportunity, that, that open door, uh, you know, that thing, that appointment that God has for us. It's not just initially. I believe God's a, God, God has his appointments for us all throughout life. That appointment may be showing up at the right place and getting the right job or, or meeting the right person. Um, you never know when that divine appointment is going to happen for you. And uh, we see that's happening here for them. Uh, so they come to the riverside where prayer, we're told, was customarily made. Now, in verse 14, they meet here a certain woman. Uh, her name is Lydia, uh, the ancient uh, name for... She is from Thyatira, which was in Asia Minor, which would be Turkey today. Uh, the ancient name for that area, that city, was Lydia. So obviously she's named her namesake after that. Uh, we're told basically she was a business lady from Asia. But what's amazing about this, the man of Macedonia in the vision turns out to be a woman. I think God's got a sense of humor, okay? Uh, somebody once said the best man for a job sometimes is a woman, okay? And uh, that's an interesting kind of a thing that we see here about this gal uh, and this divine appointment as they come together on a Sabbath day basically to, to worship the Lord. And we're told here the Lord opened her heart. The Lord just, he has to do that, doesn't he? You know, we can, we can share the very best uh, four spiritual laws with somebody, but it's only if the Lord just opens their heart, uh, enabling them to, to understand, to perceive, to internalize, you know, that truth that God may be speaking, you know, to them. God has to do that. That's why, you know, when, before you witness to people or before you go out, of, you know, before we even leave our home, we should always pray, Lord, do you have some kind of, some kind of opportunity for me today? Is there somebody I can talk to, Lord, Lord just about you in some kind of way? Uh, and, and watch how God can just wonderfully, now I know we oftentimes get, you know, rejected, but watch how God can just sort of open up someone's heart. Um, and, and that happens with this lady uh, God is going to wonderfully, we, we see her, save, save her and work in her life. And, and the interesting thing that we see taking place with her, with her is as soon as her heart is opened, her home is open. And do you ever notice that you know, when you first became a Christian, how God just wonderfully did something in your life that was so, such a, so antithetical, was so different um, of you know, the way you were before? And the one, one of the wonderful things that I see that God, when God just begins to open up our heart, he opens up our home in, in a hospitable kind of way. You know, sometimes, you know, I heard people talk about the gift of hospitality, but you know what? I think God wants to give us all the gift of hospitality. Uh, he wants us to be open, you know, to opportunities, you know, to minister to folks. And sometimes, and it's one thing Margie and I have experienced, our whole Christian life is opening up the doors of our home. And sometimes that would be for a week. Sometimes that would be for six months. Uh, not always an easy situation. But I know that God wonderfully blessed us and in that process blessed other people. And so when God is working in us and we open up our heart, you never know us. What he, he opens up our wallet. He opens up our pocketbook. Um, you know, he begins to free us, doesn't he, from the things that maybe once had a hold upon our life and upon our situation. And, you know, Jesus put it like this. Uh, in Matthew, he put it like this in Matthew, let's see, Matthew chapter 6, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Isn't it true? We all have treasures, you know. 
whatever you know, our focus, our fixation, wherever our heart is. Uh, the fact is, we, we, we are very romantic. We are very sentimental. We have things that we love you know, in our life and in our particular experience. And that's why it's important. Like, just like, like the, the Shema says, you know, to love the Lord thy God. That's, not, that, that's something that spans um, every page of Scripture, you know, to love God and when we love Him. It has a way of just sort of working in our heart and freeing us from some of the things that perhaps maybe, you know, held, you know, held us in some kind of way. And I was kind of thinking about this week, you know, all of us have got a lot of treasures at home. Amen. Mm, I guess not. You guys have given them all away. Well, God bless you. God bless you. I'm going to put a little challenge out here. The ladies' Christmas sale is coming. Could you stand apart with one of those little treasures? Huh? There's a little challenge. It's a challenge for me, too. Can, can you think to part with maybe... I'm not, we're not asking for all your treasures. We know you're not going to give your best treasure away, okay? We know that, or that that's a given. But maybe one of those little treasures that you have at home and that, that, that you know, kind of takes a little piece of your heart when you have to give it away, you know, kind of. A, we all have those things. Um, because all that money, we don't keep any of that money. That money goes to missions. Um, and uh, we, want to, we want to be able to bless, you know, God's work in, in, in other places. So we're told in verse... 15, she begs, Lydia begs us, Paul is, or excuse me, Luke is there, if you have judged me to be faithful, come to my house and stay, so she uh, persuaded us. You know, one of the things, I, I kind of wonder, you know, because of Paul's background, he was a Pharisee, you know, he was a Pharisee and he was a rabbi, um, and you got, you, you know, within that Pharisaical movement, you know, you can't, you know, it's important, whatever movement, you just can't paint everybody with a broad brush, okay? But the fact of the matter is, there was a lot of rigid, biased individuals in there. Remember, the Pharisees, for the most part, were very instrumental um, in, in basically condemning Jesus Christ. And there was, a, there was a Pharisaical prayer, and it was basically, it went like this, God, I thank you that you haven't made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. I mean, I'd like to be married to a guy like that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And, and I wonder if maybe, you know, that, that's a part of maybe Paul's background in his particular situation. And I kind of wonder if maybe that was part of why he had the, a vision of a man saying, come to Macedonia. What about if it was a woman? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's speculative on my part. I understand that. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, we get saved, we come to the table, we've got biases, okay? We've got, you know, we've got areas and issues, you know, on our background and we don't, we don't realize or think about it often, but sometimes they play a part, you know, of our particular decisions and so forth. And that's why the Lord, and one of the things I'm really seeing here with Paul, we, we talked about it last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm all things to all men, you know, to the Jew, I'm a Jew, to the Gentiles, I'm a Gentile. He was a, and that's what I think God here is, is working, you know, in the apostle, like he's working in you and me, more flexibility. And flexibility will start as long as we, on our part, there's a willingness to change. Now, it's, I know change isn't easy. I mean, I live in the skin just like you do. But, but God is always bringing us to this place. 
Because flexibility means this, usability. If we are flexible, God can take us and use us in so many situations. And it's predicated upon you and me. It's predicated upon our decision. I have always said this. You will go as far and you will go as far and walk as deep spiritually as you allow. You control that one. Nobody else. We can't we own that. So are we allowing the Holy Spirit to make us, shape us, bend us, you know, put put us in situation? You know, a number of years ago we bought a house and we prayed. We prayed, Lord, get us the right house. We prayed for four, four years, wasn't it, honey? Four years. And we moved into this house, and the house was full of mold. And I've got mold allergies for every piece of mold on this earth, okay? Dust allergies, mold allergies. That's me. I, I, can, I can taste mold spores. If I walk in a house and somebody has their basement door open, I can taste it. It's that bad. After four years... We finally got it. We finally moved. And, you know, sometimes there are things that go take place in your life. You're like, Lord, what was that about? You know, we prayed for four years. And the Lord said, I'm molding you. <laughs> that, that's, that was the answer I got. You know, sometimes we like the end result, but we don't like the process. It's like I was praying. I told you about this. I was praying, Lord, at my age, I just can't lose this 20 pounds, 25 pounds. I can't lose it. So lo and behold, I get COVID-19. I lost all that weight and a little bit more. I love the, re- I love the end result. I just hated the process. You see, he's molding us. He's shaping us so that he can take us. And again, flexibility is what? It's usability. And we see that here in the life of Paul because, you know, Paul will say this later. He will say this later. Kind of interesting, too, because, of you know, again, you have to look at his background and so forth. He says, uh, he says for you are all sons of God through, through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and again, that word sons, is, it's, a, it's not so much ge- about gender um, because if you were a son in that ancient culture, you had privilege, you had preeminence. And that's what he's basically saying. Male or female, you have preeminence because of what Christ has done for us. Now, he says this, for as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ have put on Christ. And here's what he says. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. And these were all the distinctions in that ancient world that separated people and divided people. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So he's speaking here basically, and again, uh, about equality. Now, we may have different roles, okay? When you're born into this world, you're, you're looking at two people that have different roles, don't you? Mom and dad, okay? But they're equal, and, and that's what he's saying in Christ. Um, you know, I don't get any special preeminence or whatever because I'm a pastor and you're not, okay? We are equal. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. My, my, just that my, my calling happens to be that of a teacher, that of a pastor. But that doesn't make me any better than you. Sometimes I've, I've heard an interesting kind of a analogy that sometimes the private in the army is a better person than the general. And you see, in Christ, we have a glorious and wonderful equality. 
And is it, that, that's incredible. That's so different because the world's always measuring. Right now, our culture is simply dividing people, okay? There's the vaxxed and the unvaxxed. And uh, there's these social structures, you know, that they're out there. There's the racial issues that are going on in our world today. Isn't it wonderful that when you come into Christ, there's an equality? Man, what a, that's a breakthrough. I mean, that's a breakthrough for all time. But particularly in the days that Paul was writing this. And again, that's the glorious message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we're all on the same footing. There's a beautiful equality. And God loves each one of us. Each one of us are so incredibly unique. And again, we see oftentimes that the structures uh, in the world are so absolutely incredibly different. Another thing that I think Paul was learning here in this, he was learning contentment. Um, John, this morning, he was praying. I thought that was interesting because we didn't, we didn't talk about that, but he was talking about learning about contentment and so forth. And I think Paul, like us, there, there's a learning of, of contentment. We're always learning something. That's why I say we always need to have this attitude. Hey, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a student. There's always something I'm learning fresh. Uh, over in Philippians, uh, he will say this. In Philippians 4, uh, verses 10, he says, I rejoiced. Uh, greatly in, in the Lord that it now last your care for me has flourished again, uh, that you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Now he's writing here to these Philippians. He's in jail. He's in jail. They, they, he's in maritime prison in Rome, okay? And he's writing back to the Philippians. He's saying how, you know, that here, here this, this, this group here, there was a real affection well, I think we touched on that. We talked about that between the Philippians and Paul. There was just something special there. Maybe it was a fact that it was just that church was just sort of born out of blood, sweat, and tears. And there was a just there was a great love there. That's like for many people. And the book of Philippians is one of my favorite books in Scripture in the New Testament. But he says this. He says, not that I speak, you know, now they were, they were sending things to him. They were taking care of him, even though he was in prison. Not that I speak in regard to need. For I have learned that whatever, in whatever state that I am, to be content. Even New York State, okay? <laughs> but actually, it means condition. No matter what condition we may find ourselves in, we're learning contentment, aren't, they? aren't we? As our circumstances change. Just, just to be, you know, godliness with, with contentment is what? Great gain. That's the kind of gain we need. It's just simply to be content. And you know, many people think, these Americans, they must be so happy and content. We're probably the most discontented people on the entire planet because we're constantly tempted and tortured by some new device that we don't have and that we think we need. And if I just get this new gizmo, I'm going to be a happy camper. And how many of us have gotten new gizmos and new this and a new that? And you know what? The, the novelty of it kind of wears off and it just goes, you know, on the shelf or whatever it gets in. You know, I was just saying to Margie last night, um, our closets are full. They're so full, we just need to get rid of stuff. And, and when you go to do it, you empty the whole closet, and there might be one thing in that closet you decide, well, I'll get, think I'll get rid of this. 
kind of help make myself feel good, you know, I, I did all this work. And that's so often our life. Our life is filled with so many things, but learning to be content with just the Lord. Here, Paul speaking about contentment. He's probably, he probably said much more than a cloak or a blanket or a coat and a candle uh, and some scriptures there in prison. For he says, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned, again, he uses that word, both to be full and to be hungry to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How about us, folks? Are we learning? Are we learning in our present circumstances, situations, as, as changes come, as we learn how to adapt to maybe new financial situations, new living conditions, um, Think of all the people. One of the things that just, it really grieves me to no end of how cruel government and culture can be. Of a year ago, all of our heroes in the hospital, the doctors and nurses, many of them sacrificing their lives. And you know, many of those same people are out of a job now because they won't agree to a mandate. It makes me wonder, is this America? It's cruel. It's absolutely cruel. We need to understand it. Whether we've been vaccinated or not. We need to, this, this is the way the world is. This is the way the world works. We have, we have to understand that. I can do all things, he says. In the face of his need, in the face of learning, in the face of whatever the particular struggle may be. Now, as we get to verse 16, you know the devil's been waiting in the wings um, with, with some new tactic uh, attacking here the apostolic uh, missionary team. And, uh, and the new tactic is perhaps maybe we can give these ambassadors some free advertisement. And when you would look at it for face value, you would think, wow, that sounds pretty good. Here comes the apostolic team, and they have a forerunner going before them, announcing that, that these are servants of the true and the living God, and they, they preach to us the way of salvation. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You know, at least for face value. And it happened as we went to prayer, so this perhaps maybe the next Sabbath or going to prayer. A certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination um, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. So, again, you've got a young girl here. She's demonized. Uh, she's a slave girl. Her, her masters are basically pimping her for her occultic powers, just like people, like men will pimp young girls and take advantage of them uh, in the sex trade. And I'll tell you what, it's big, folks. It is big. Uh, it's been exposed more recently but it's always been, it's always been there, um, and, uh, and it's sad to realize that it can happen, you know, it can happen under our noses, it can happen in our city. And that's why, you know, when you think about some of the things that, uh, you know, when we re listen to the news, uh, some of the things that we be, can be praying about, you know, be praying and sensitized, and how, how, can I, 
How can I, you know, a lot of times we think, well, yeah, we're, yeah, we're in Rochester, we're in the suburbs, you know, life is good, and, you know, we know our neighbors and all that. And you never know what's going under, on underneath your nose. You never know what's going on. It's shocking at times to find out some of the things that are going on in our world and in our community. And I think the only way that we can know that is being tuned with the Holy Spirit, you know, to have our hearts in tune, to have our antennas up. And so... The girl followed Paul and us, cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And you wonder if somebody thought for some minute, this might be good. It's free advertisement. I mean, she's, you know, the word, you know, as far as her words, her words are basically, you know, they seem to be good. But here's the deal. When the source isn't holy, neither is the result going to be. And I think what's happening here is the devil is trying to associate himself with this work because, see, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke are going to be gone. And when they're gone, they're going, Satan's going to have these, these, these folks here, the, the, the fo- you know, the, those involved in the occult, they're going to come along and say, well, you know what, uh, we, we worked with those guys. We, 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 were, we were on their team. And... Uh, and so now, you know, here, and, and the other thing is, too, when people really don't know the Lord, there's not a discernment there. There's not a real uh, spiritual perception. And, and people will just, you know, get, get caught up oftentimes. And, and that's why you look at the religious cults that are out there. I mean, these, pe- these are filled with people who are well-intended, you know, people that are looking for some kind of help or some kind of solution, you know, in their life and in their experience. These people are all around us. And a lot of times we don't know that. A lot of times we don't realize we're somebody, you know, internally. Um, you know, I was searching. I really was. And I had been searching ever since I got back from the war. Um, and it was a silent search. I was just reading, you know, existentialism and philosophical kinds of things. And, and you know, my first initial experience in, in, in to the gospel was, well, I grew up in that. That's not the answer, That's, but it was the answer because it was, it was the real deal. It was genuine Christianity. It was gen, genuine biblical Christianity. See, my experience previously before that wasn't. And so I didn't think that, you know, I, I right away devalued uh, what I heard, but I was, I, I, was, I, I was around people long enough to see something, a, a dynamic difference there that I didn't have in my life. And I just began to think, you know, I need that in my life. I, I want that in my life. And there's something magnetic. There's something magnetic when the Spirit of God is working in the lives of people. That's why, folks, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. There's a drawing there. God drawing through us, through our words, you know, through our behavior. Sometimes people, you may be sometimes not even what you say to someone. They're just watching you. They're watching your demeanor. They're watching how you handle other people. You know, they're watching your responses, you know, on the job and so forth, how you interact with people. Sometimes they're watching us for the things that we don't say or that we don't get involved in or whatever the case may be. And oftentimes these things can be, you know, it's not always just sometimes a verbal witness, which I think is important and there's a time for that, but sometimes it's that silent witness where people are just simply watching and observing our life. Because I'll tell you what, when you don't know Christ, you're living life different than what God created you for. And when you don't know Christ, you don't know what it is, but you know something's missing. You can't put your finger on it. You can't figure it out. 
until the gospel comes and all of a sudden you're presented, you know, with Jesus Christ. And even at that point, you're just like, well, I'm not really sure, you know, about this. But the Holy Spirit has a way of revealing himself and in, in drawing us. And that's why it's important you and I are in full cooperation, you know, with the Spirit of God, that the nature of Jesus Christ, His nature is, is showing through us in, in our particular experience. And so churches also, too, I think that, you know, when, you, when we talk about this kind of thing, when you use carnal methods, basically, all you do is beget carnal Christianity. And that's why we, we realize here, even though they're saying the right thing, um, it's, it's not from a holy source. And this she did, we're told, for many days. Paul, greatly annoyed, he turned to this spirit, I command you, and said, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And he came out at that very hour. Now, one of the questions is, why did Paul allow this to go on for some time? I think it's important to realize that we as Christians, that we don't go messing around with that kind of stuff and occultic stuff. You don't have to chase the devil down, okay? He knows exactly where you and I are, okay? And uh, Paul is put in a position here where he has to deal with it. And that's why, it's, that's why we see Paul doing something. That's why he let it go on for many different days. Um, you know, the thing is, I think it's important to realize uh, I don't see exorcism um, as a viable ministry in the Scriptures, okay? Okay, the Lord does it. But as far as a ministry people are called to, I, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't see that. Now, are we able to do what Paul did here? Yeah, I think we are. But I think it's important to realize that we're not to pursue that kind of a thing. If the Lord, if the Lord wants to use us in that way, hey, that's fine. I've never called a demon out of anyone. I've been around for over 40 years, about 45 years I've known Christ. It happened one, side, one time in my, the office next to me. It was, a, it was a prayer room next to me, and uh, there was somebody in there who was demon-possessed, and it sounded like, it sound like uh, a wrestling match, things being banged up against the wall and so forth. And, and uh, after about an hour, uh, this person was delivered from Satan. And, uh, but, you know, we, we see here Paul is not looking for this. Um, Jesus didn't go looking for it, but when he, when he faced off with that, okay, that's when he had to deal with it. So all I'm saying here is we're not to go, we're not to go searching for that kind of thing. If, if the Lord's going to use us in that kind of way, uh, I, I agree with exactly what Paul's doing here. He's, he's put into a position where he has to do it. And we see, that, we see that taking place. I think he, he obviously felt directed by the Lord to do it at this particular point. So when our masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. That's where the courts were, okay? Like if you go to Israel and you go to some of the ancient um, uh, sites in Israel, uh, there were places where the city elders would sit at the gate. And so the marketplace and... Uh, this particular, in many places, that was where magistrates would be, 
And so if you had to go settle a matter, um, or whatever the case may be, if it's a criminal case, whatever the course would be, uh, you would go there. The magistrates would be available there probably, what, maybe certain days, you know, of the week. And so this is basically what they do here. You know, one of the things that you'll find about Christianity is oftentimes tolerated until it touches the God of Mammon. When it touches someone's pocketbook, when it touches their money, you know, the Bible says the, 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 the love of money, you know, is the root of all evil. Money isn't the root of all evil, okay? Money never has been the root. It's the love of it. You know, it, it's the greed that drives people. And, and we see that. We see that in the world. Have you ever been in a position where um, maybe somebody, you know, in the workplace, you know, they were, um, maybe they're an associate of yours or a co-worker or maybe even a friend, whatever the case may be. But when it came to, to gaining that promotion and getting that position, all of a sudden, man, you know, they're just, that's what they're all about. They're all about, you know, getting that position, getting that promotion, getting that extra money, maybe getting that power, whatever the case may be. I've seen people's personality change when it comes to these kinds of things, you know, out there in the workaday world. And that's why it's important for you and I, you know, when it comes to, you know, the Bible says, and, and this is a beautiful thing, and I've seen God's people, because of integrity, I've seen them promoted in so many situations. I've seen the opportunities and doors open just swing wide for them because of people recognizing integrity in their life. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 75 that promotion doesn't come from the east or west, okay? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't come basically, you know, from men. It comes from the Lord. The Lord is the one. Look at Daniel. Look at Joseph. Because of the integrity of their lives that people simply, you know, uh, you know, pagan people recognized something different, something worthy. You know, something, man, I can, this guy's, this guy's, just, man, he's just, he's honest. He's truthful. There's a genuineness about him. I want to put him in that, I want to put him in a leadership position. I, I want to put him over the finances because I know I, I can simply trust this guy. And, you know, when people look at us, they need to see that. They need to be able to see that kind of, you know, that kind of, um, you know, integrity, you know, in our lives. Because that's what God wants to do. He wants to use us in those kinds of ways. And, and um, anyway, here, um, verse 20, we're told, they brought them before the magistrates. And, and here's, this is, this is an ethnic slur, okay? This is a biased ethnic slur. Uh, these men being Jews, well, well, well you know, after all, you know, they're Jews, Kind of, a, kind of an attitude. As a matter of fact, we're told within these next couple chapters, who was it? Uh, Claudius. Caesar Claudius expelled all the Jews from Rome. And that usually indicated why they were expelled also too from the colonies, because the colonies were considered Roman territory. And God's people... The Jews so often have been scapegoats. We know that. All we have to do is look at more recent history, you know, in our world. And you know the other thing, too. As Christian persecution will arise, so will anti-Semitism. Their book ends. These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs 
which are not lawful, being Romans, uh, to receive and observe. Now, these charges are false, they're political, and they're criminal. But, but the, the, the interesting thing is here, they, they turn it, they make it look like a political thing. It's not that at all. They lost their money. That, that's really what it was all about. It was about the almighty dollar. And so often, you know, again, as I said, you know, people, can, people can change. Even people that we know, even people that we're friendly with when it comes to, to money. Uh, how many families have been destroyed? Because of an inheritance or a will. Oh, man. I've seen Christian families torn apart. Not that everybody in the family was Christian, but I've even seen and heard the stories and asked or asked for prayer about those kinds of things. Oh, when it comes to the almighty dollar, man, oh, God, free us. Free us. And that's the beauty of, you know, it's seeing God's sovereignty in all the situations and circumstances of life. You, could be a, you, could be a, you can be in a family where, you know, the, there's a big inheritance and, and it comes to you and they give you a lamp. Thinking, man, they'll be, they're Christians, they'll be happy. You can give them a lamp. And just watch how you, you react to that. Are you going to be, are you going to see, oh, Lord, you're in control. You know, it's a funny thing. We can believe in God's sovereignty until we really need it. (laughs) Because he's working all things for the good to you and to me. And he just simply wants us to trust him. So here again, teaching customs and things that are not lawful. You know, many in our world today are facing these pressures for, for simply non-compliance to a vaccine that's based on, many people believe, a religious conviction, but there's also a lot of people in our world today, they believe that this vaccine is basically bad sciences. But my question is this, what about you and I as believers in Jesus Christ? Do we believe our convictions strong enough, even if we were thrown into jail? Now, that may sound so far-fetched, but you know something? I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Will it happen in our generation? I don't know. Will the Lord come first? I don't know. You know, Jesus said, occupy till I come. And in one sense, I think that means, you know what? Be prepared for the worst. Because remember, for you, for the child of God, this life is the worst it gets. There needs to be a comfort in that, folks. Because after this life, it gets way, way, way better. For the unbeliever, this is the best that it gets, this life. That's why we need to live for him, amen. Then the multitude rose up. It's amazing how quickly the mob. Look at our world today, the mob. Something happens, they don't like the mob is filling the streets, burning things. Breaking windows. 
The multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrate tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. You know, Paul had this happen three times, and it was usually 39 stripes. Man, after that, as a matter of fact, you know why they held back on the the 40th stripe? the, 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 The sentence was 40. And just out of great mercy, great mercy, they held back one time. But, you know, 39 stripes oftentimes killed people. Did you ever notice how merciful the justice system is? Not very merciful. It really isn't. I wouldn't want to be a judge and have to stand before the Lord. They got a hard, they got a hard job. That's why we need to pray for, pray for, pray for anybody in authority. The Bible tells us, and that's why we do that. They have a very, very difficult job, and they will give an account for that. Like every one of us will give an account of our lives. Uh, you know, the Scripture says in James, um, you know, for those who pastor and, and preach and in leadership uh, will be get a stricter measure put to our lives so I hope you're praying for me uh, I'd rather get beat up now in this life than, than beat up later <laughs> you know so anyway you know there are you know, as, in different ways as we suffer for the Lord there are dividends to that you know Jesus said this uh, he said this over in uh, Matthew chapter 5, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Wow. This is the final beatitude. For, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, who have been persecuted for righteousness' sake. He said, Oh, how blessed. Blessed are you when, when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. He says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so to know that, you know, whatever degree of suffering that we may have to face or rejection, not always getting beat up. Sometimes emotional suffering and rejection can be pretty, pretty severe. And so when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them in the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. I don't think they realized that something, at least at this point, like many of us, you you go through a trial and think, what good can come out of this? And I don't think they realized that something wonderful and glorious was going to be birthed out of this. And what I'm talking about is a church. Changed lives. You know, a place where people can come together and and encourage one another, exhort one another. That's why it's important that we do stay in fellowship with one another because you know what? It's mutually encouraging. You know what's the worst thing for a Christian? Isolation. Isolation is deadly. As a matter of fact, it's, it's, it's deadly for people. They were talking about, do you realize this in the last year? 100,000 overdoses. And how many people are just there? They're they're talking about COVID because of COVID. 100,000. 
And part of that is, for some of those folks, isolation. We need one another. And there's, there's a wonderful dynamic that, that when we come together, when we love on one another and care for one another, minister to one another, there's a dynamic there that takes place. It's, it's a spiritual thing. I remember at one point when we came back after COVID, I was like, oh my goodness, it's so great to be around God's people. Because this is the real family, isn't it? This is God's family that he's birthed us in to this family, to this relationship. And so we're, we're told they're put in the inner prison, fastened their feet uh, in this docks. And I want you to just listen to this man. This was a man that grew up, a Baptist man, grew up uh, in a Christian family, um, married his wife. Uh, she was uh, a strong Christian, going to, go, you know, going to church. And he's a, he's a um, pilot in Vietnam. He shot down as he was, you know, on one of his bombing runs. He shot down in 1965, and he's in that prison to 1973. It was the infamous Hanoi Hilton as they called it. His name is Harold Rutledge. I've read his story. He said, during those long periods of enforced reflection, it became so much easier to separate the important from the trivial, the worthwhile from the waste. For example, in the past, I usually worked or played hard on Sundays and had no time for church. For years, Phyllis, that's his wife, encouraged me to join the family at church. She never nagged or scolded, but she just kept hoping. But I was too busy, too preoccupied to spend one or two short hours a week thinking about the really important things. Now the sights and sounds and smells of death were all around me. My hunger for spiritual food soon outweighed my hunger for a steak. Now I wanted to know about the part of me that will never die. Now I wanted to talk about God and Christ and the church. But in heartbreak, solitary confinement, there was no pastor, no Sunday school teacher, no Bible. No handbook, no community of believers to guide and sustain me. I had completely neglected the spiritual dimension of my life. It took prison to show me how empty life is without God. And so I had to go back in my memory to those Sunday school days in Nogales Avenue Baptist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If I could have a Bible or a hymn book, I would try to rebuild them in my mind. I tried desperately to recall snatches of Scripture sermons, the gospel choruses from childhood, the hymns we sang in church. The first three dozen songs were relatively easy. Every day I tried to recall another verse or a new song. One night there was a huge thunderstorm, and it was a season of the monsoon rains, and a bolt of lightning knocked out the lights and plunged the entire prison into darkness. I had been going over hymn tunes in my mind and stopped to lie down and sleep. Uh, when the rains began to fall, the darkened prison echoed uh, with wave after wave of water. Suddenly, I was hymning my 37th song. He had remembered 37 hymns in that place. Uh, one I had entirely forgotten since childhood. And it went like this. One of the verses are, showers of blessings, showers of blessings we need. Mercy drops around uh, us all falling, but the showers uh, but for the showers we plead. I no sooner had recalled those words than another song popped into my mind. 
the theme song was of a radio program my mother listened to when I was just a kid. And most of my fellow prisoners were struggling like me to rediscover faith, to reconstruct workable value systems. Harry Jenkins lived in a cell nearby during much of my captivity, and often we would use priceless seconds of communication uh, in the day to help one another read, recall scriptures, uh, scripture verses and stories. One day I heard him whistle. When the cell block was clear, I waited for his communication, thinking, thinking it to be some important news. And he said, basically, I got a new one. I don't know where it comes from or why I remember it, but it's a story about Ruth and Naomi. He then went on to tell the ancient story of Ruth following Naomi in a hostile uh, new land, finding God's presence and protection there. Harry's urgent news was 2,000 years old, but it seemed so important to me as a, in my prison life. Uh, we lived off that story for days, rebuilding it, thinking what it, what it had meant, applying God's ancient words to our predicament, predicament. And you see, that's the importance. That's the importance of knowing the Lord. That's the importance of his truth. You know, the Bible says that we need to hide his truth, you know, in, in our hearts and in our lives. And man, it will come to us. It will come to us when we need those, we need those inspirations. We need that guidance. We need that counsel. You know, just we need that word, you know, from the Lord. You know, in verse 25, we find them praying, singing. You know what? In the worst possible circumstances, you know why? Christ is with them. Christ was with them. And you know something, folks? He's with you in our worst circumstances. We just finished Isaiah, and one of the, one of the great uh, verses I keep harking back in Isaiah is simply this. And he's saying this here to Israel about all their problems. He says, in their affliction, inflict, uh, excuse me, affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. That's the Messiah. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, that's the Messiah. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He bore them and carried them all the days of old. You know something, folks? He's carrying you. He's carrying me. And you know what? Whatever our affliction may be, he is afflicted with us. Why? He's in it with us. See, when you invite Christ into your life, he's with you for the duration. And we may not always feel that or think that, but the fact of the matter is, that is the wonderful hope that we have in Christ, that, that he is in our lives, that he is, and that's, that's what Emmanuel means in Isaiah chapter 7. That would, be, that would be one of his titles, Emmanuel, is simply this, God with us. He's with you. And not only that, he's in you. When you sincerely ask Christ to come into your life, he will do that. And dear person, whoever you are that hasn't done that yet, you need to do that. You need to do that. You, you, need, you need his presence. You need his life. You need his virtue. You need his nature. You need all those things. You know, I was thinking about Daniel's friends. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They would not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's mandate to worship the image. And what did it lead to? Miraculous intervention. They were put in, they were in prison. They were thrown in that burning, fiery furnace. That opens the door for God's presence, God's dynamic, 
at work. You need a miracle? Well, you trust them. I'm so thankful for the many little miracles. We may not call them big miracles, whatever the case may be, but those, those little things to just sense and to know, to be aware of his glorious presence. If in your affliction right now today, maybe you're struggling and you need to know his presence, I just want to have you stand up and I'll pray for you in closing. If you just need him, fresh power, his presence, his guidance, his direction. Father, I thank you. I thank you that, Lord, we can look to you. You said, Lord, in the, in the Psalms, in the Proverbs, you're a friend. A friend that sticks closer than a brother. And, Lord, you have promised that you would not only be with us, but, Lord, you would be in us. And how I pray, Father, for every open heart here. It may not be just those who are standing, but every open heart that, Lord, you might fill us. Lord, we have to go back out into that world. And it's hostile to the values that we so cherish and love. So help us, Lord, equip us, empower us. Enable us to do the things that we could never do on our own. And Lord, for that, we will praise you. We will love you. And we will thank you, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Shall we rise?